Welcome to our Daily Inspiration Podcast. As Inspire Church is walking through a 30-day rule of life, whether you are participating fully or just listening, we hope you are blessed. God bless you, Inspire Church. My name is Simon Yu. Some of you know me, but uh, let me just introduce myself briefly. I formerly served as an associate pastor at Community Church of Hayward, and I've known Pastor Phil for a very long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of you might remember Battle Cats, and we were we were back in the day. We went to Patton together. We went through Greek together, and I am truly grateful for Pastor Phil. Uh, who shared this awesome idea about rhythms of life. And I am very excited for this opportunity to share my thoughts on the rule of fasting. I told Pastor Phil I was particularly interested in this topic. The reason being is because I actually have a recent experience of fasting and how it has positively impacted my walk in faith. It helped me grow spiritually in a way that I haven't felt or experienced for a while, for a long time. And it is something that I find myself including in my spiritual discipline in my walk with Jesus Christ. So that's the general major reason why I'm I'm so happy to share on fasting. Though um, there's no explicit reference or command, fasting as a spiritual practice and discipline can be found everywhere in Scripture. We see many people in the in the Old Testament do it, and we see folks in the New Testament fasting. After all, Jesus, while teaching his sermon on the Mount, actually expects his followers to fast uh, and teaching us how to do so. He says in Matthew 6.16, not if or should you fast, but when you fast. That said, as his followers, there is an understanding from Christ himself that fasting should be done on a consistent basis. That being said, I'd like to go ahead and offer my take on fasting. Um, I'll be the first to admit that I am no expert uh, on this particular topic. I'm just excited about it because of what I just, uh, what I went through these past few months after fasting. And the things that I'll share it won't be exhaustive just probably just scratches the surface on on this topic. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I want to start off by defining what I mean when I say fasting and how I think it should be done. After that, I'll go through three passages, Matthew 4, 1 through 4, Acts 13, 1 through 3, and Isaiah 58, 1 through 9. And what I'm going to do is I'd like to glean some lessons on fasting from those three passages. Now, if you are able, go ahead and pause the podcast at the moment to just read these passages on your own in your own favorite translation. 
I will be reading them as I go through them in the podcast when the time comes. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read them from the New International Version. And then I'm going to end off finally by sharing my take on... How would I say uh, the cosmic reason why as believers we should fast when I mean cosmic, I'm saying the grand plan of God for his creation. Fasting is related to the fall, to communion and the return of Christ. My hope and prayer for this podcast will be that it would be a source of valued information and that it would uplift and encourage you to make fasting a consistent pattern and, yes, dare I say, rhythm of your life. Hashtag, yes, I went there. So let me begin with fasting. In contemporary modern churches these days, we've expanded the definition of fasting. But originally, traditionally, the understanding of fasting is to forego a meal, perhaps even forego two meals. And, and the idea, each one has their own ideas. The older churches will fast for Christmas and for Easter, and it was a time for spiritual preparation and expectation for those seasons. But ultimately, it was giving up a meal. Now, I think the reason why modern churches today have expanded it to say that a fast is also maybe giving something up in life, you know, or it's even abstaining or giving up a, a particular thing. Perhaps it's sugary sweets, food or, or television or social media, all good things. We should give up those things, but I'm going to lean on the traditional understanding that that fasting is specifically giving up of a meal or giving up of food uh, for, a, for a certain season, for a certain time frame. Uh, the reason being is because the importance of food for the human being and food is is what drives us. It's the thing, it's the energy source that keeps us going day by day, right? Naturally speaking, it's, it's an instinct that we have as humans to continue on with life, right? However, something happened and something happened in Genesis three. And due to the fall, what we're saying now is we're not just simply natural beings. We're also spiritual beings and that we are above the natural and that by, by giving it up is to proclaim that we are above the natural. And also because of the fall, those instincts, that instinct of food, can we can be enslaved by it we can be it could be an idol in our life or you know america in it itself ha has fallen short or is guilty of over consuming aren't we and so the act of fasting is also the act of not indulging too much of the act of fasting is also an act 
of showing um, that the instinct or the drive of eating does not control me. It does not, it does not consume me. It doesn't, it doesn't make every decision of my life that I can forego it. Now, perhaps due to health reasons, maybe some of us cannot give up a meal, and that's totally understandable. And that's probably the reason why modern churches expanded the definition. I would, however, strongly encourage to actually seek that out for you, to go to the to go to your personal doctor and actually find out if you you se- yourself individually aren't able to do it because I highly encourage and I feel that many of us more than we think could actually give up food could actually give up a meal for for a certain amount of time again it there are people and I totally understand that but I don't think it should just be relied on just your own opinion. If it is truly that, then you would find out from your own physician for your own doctor. I think there are benefits. Don't get me wrong. I think there are benefits of giving up, giving up sweets or giving up meat. So you just eat vegetables. You know, that's, that's, that's all very good. And that's also, that's actually called how the, uh, older churches, the the traditional churches would call abstaining from. You abstain from certain foods, right? I think it's also very beneficial for giving up, giving up social media if it consumes you, because the the reason behind that is the same reason behind fasting or giving up a meal, which is that I don't want this thing which is eating or social media or or whatever control me enslave me i'm free from that i'm above that i'm a spiritual being but i do strongly encourage just to consider to to consider the fast as giving up a meal or giving up two meals a day now There are extreme fasts, and we see examples of extreme fasts. Moses had an extreme fast. Jesus had an extreme fast. And what do I mean by extreme fast? They didn't eat at all for a period of time. I'm going to say this. Unless, unless God tells you (laughs) to, commands you, instructs you to go and do that, then, then who am I to say otherwise? However, I don't think that should be the common practice or the common, the, the norm for believers. If you wish to fast on a consistent basis as part of your spiritual growth, it, all, all churches have their own instruction and and therefore, I would imagine Inspire to think that as well. I think Inspire would as well. Um, however, it's not a complete extreme fast is not the norm. It's not common. And it's only, in, in my opinion, only done if you literally see the presence of God, right? Just like Moses. So uh, consider... Consider giving up a meal, consider giving up, 
consider giving up perhaps even two meals, but consider also it being gradual. But ultimately, though, I adhere to the idea um, that fast, traditionally speaking, is understood as giving up of a meal. So that's what, that's how I would define it. All right. So let's go into the three passages and um, I'd like to glean lessons on on these three passages. So the first one I would like to begin is Acts 4, or excuse me, Matthew 4, 1 through 4. So, and it reads in the New International Version, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is Matthew's version of Jesus's wilderness scene. And what we know in both Matthew and Luke is that the devil comes and tempts or tests Jesus, right? In verse 3, uh, we hear the tempter speak to Jesus. And he, in, in the... In our translation, in the New International Version translation, it's a conditional. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In the Greek, there's a layer of understanding what exactly the tempter is saying here. He's not saying it in a figurative or speculative sense. So it's, it's not like the devil is saying, I don't know if you're the son of God, Jesus, um, but maybe you are. So tell these stones to become bread. That's not what the devil is saying here. He's actually affirming Jesus as the son of God. He's not denying that. So to really understand what Satan is saying here, what the devil is saying is instead of if, put since. So I'll just do a little addendum here. The tempter came to him and said, since you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And it's, you can just imagine what is suggested here, that because that Jesus is God's son, you have every right to eat. Why aren't you eating? You should be eating. You are entitled to eat. And your food should come in order to satisfy the eating. You should even have this miraculous moment to transform something into another. To have a metamorphosis of stone, of rock, to become edible bread. And Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That reference actually comes from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8. And 
I want to read that to give us the fullness of what Jesus is saying here. And he says, be careful. Excuse me. Deuteronomy says this. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you could keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. This is the context of what Jesus is saying when he uses that reference. And the context is obedience. The context is obedience. So here's the lesson. Here's two lessons, actually. Lesson number one, he says, man does not or human beings do not live on bread alone, but every word from God, from the mouth of the Lord, okay? We, as I shared earlier in my intro, we are more than just natural beings. We are more and we are not driven or governed by appetite, natural appetite. We are above that. We are above that and and that we go beyond because we are spiritual beings. So that's the first lesson. Fasting reminds us of that. Fasting reminds that our natural appetite is not what defines us nor drives us. It is the every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Lesson number two. Fasting helps us, true fasting helps us to become more obedient to God. Let me say that again. True fasting helps us to become more obedient to God. As the context of of Deuteronomy from what Jesus shared in verse 4 is all about obedience, that it's your obedience to the Lord is even above your food. Why? Because by obeying the Lord, he provides for you. He provides for you. You give up your entitlement. You give up your power, your autonomy to uh, manifest your own destiny, if you will, by creating stones to bread. You give that up. And say, I'm obedient to the Lord and I wait for the Lord because he will faithfully sustain me. So those are the two lessons from Matthew 1 through 4. 4, 1 through 4. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Acts 13, 1 through 3. And it reads, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, 
Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 2, what you see here is a repetition, a bracketing repetition here. He talks about worshiping the Lord and fasting. Then in the middle of that is the Holy Spirit's utterance, and then it closes it off with fasting and praying. And so the idea here is this. Listening to the Holy Spirit, and this is the lesson, listening to the Holy Spirit is wrapped around fasting. Now, we're not sure if we don't have the motive of these leaders here at the Church of Antioch. We don't know is, we don't know if they were thinking that by doing this, they're going to hear from the Holy Spirit. We don't, we don't have that motive. It's not mentioned here. It looks like this was just a common practice of the leadership. And in that common spiritual practice of the leadership, the consequence of the Holy Spirit speaking happened. So, the, let me expand more on this lesson that fasting, something, something happens to our body. Something happens to our mind, our mental focus that I say in faith and I say based off this scripture that, that we will be more receptive in hearing the Holy Spirit. And that we would be more receptive in hearing the Holy Spirit within community. That there would be more confirmation. There would be more affirmation within the community when the community decides to fast and pray and worship the Lord. They will be more sensitive in listening to the Holy Spirit. All right, the third passage. And this one's a long one, but... I'll be quick and I'm going to break it off bit by bit. So the first bit is verses one through three, Isaiah 58. It says, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they said, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Okay, so here's the lesson for these first three verses. There is a wrong way to fast. What is the wrong way of fasting? And I'll explain, I'll go on to uh, verses four and five. Yet 
on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So, the there's a divine expectation with fasting. And that divine expectation is you become... You be, you become transformed. You become more than you were once before. If you're fasting and you're continuing on in your own personal sins, if we fast and then after the fast, it's all hunky dory. Let's go back to life. Let's, let's digress and revert back to our old ways. If, if there was no sense of spiritual transformation there, then that fast is wrong. That fast is not worthy of the Lord. So that's the lesson that we can glean from this passage, that there is a bad way to fast. There is a bad way to fast and that there's an expectation, a divine expectation in fasting that transforms you spiritually. So let me continue on. Verse 6, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and entie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. And this is an amazing, amazing picture of the potential of what fasting can do. Now, obviously, it's not just the ritual or the practice of not eating. This fast, there's also a, there's also a metaphorical layer to it to say that fasting also should be denying thinking of others before yourself. The marginalized, thinking of the marginalized and caring for them before yourself, looking, doing unto others what you want them to do unto you, right? And so there is that aspect. But behind that idea is that the, the purpose or the outcome of fasting should transform you spiritually to become more of the person of God that he wants you to be. And that potentially, according to Isaiah's vision here, that if we conduct ourselves in this, in this kind of fasting that God has chosen, society itself would change. And that's the amazing thing. 
All right. So I wanted to end with, as I shared, the cosmic understanding of why we should fast or why we should fast. And I want to begin with Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, what we see is the fall of the first couple, the fall of Adam and the fall of Eve. And I think what's really interesting is how sin and how disobedience came into our world. And and the way, according to Genesis, how it came into our world is through eating, is through eating. By eating what? The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, right? By taking that bite of that fruit is what is is disobedience coming into the picture and sin coming into the picture. It was it was through the act of eating the fruit that sin enters our world. And again, that's the reason why I shared why I think we should understand fasting as the traditional understanding of giving up of a meal. Um, because one, it shows, uh, one, it shows that we're trying as children of God with the Holy Spirit within us to go and live our, to show that our spiritual being takes precedent over our natural. Yes, our natural is what drives us. Yes, that natural is what sustains us to, uh, to live. I, I have to eat. I have to have that energy to continue on. However, I do claim that I am more than just my natural being. I am a spiritual being. Okay. But I think it's also to show that in a way, fasting will lament. It laments for that first sin of eating or that first act of sin from eating, from the concept of eating. Okay. Now, so sin enters our world. Sin enters our world through eating, right? And sin is forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But what's interesting is that benefit of being part of God's new kingdom, God's heavenly kingdom, God's restored creation uh, is not just for Jesus himself, right? He also gives it to his followers. He also gives it to creation as a whole. I remember, I don't, I forgot the passage specifically, but Paul, I'm, I'm going to put, I'm going to say Romans. Paul says that creation groans. So until the sons of God will be revealed, it's not just Jesus, but his followers, right? He shares, he shares the benefit of participating in God's new kingdom, in God's new world with his followers, with creation. And one particular practice that showcases that is communion. I want to share a passage from the Gospel of John and how the John writes about communion in his gospel, and it's chapter 6, 53 through 58. And Jesus, uh, now it's not the actual communion meal, 
right? But Jesus shares here. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. In this language, Jesus offers his body, his blood, to his followers to partake in, to eat, to consume of. Right. This imagery is utilized in all four Gospels. And this is the 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 foundation of our practice for communion. And isn't it interesting that, as it says in Genesis three, we fell and sin entered to the entered the world. Sin entered through in the world through the act of eating Jesus Christ saves the world from sin and dies on the cross with sin upon his shoulders. And he offers his body, his blood for us to partake and for us to eat. Right. So so and we can participate in his kingdom and we have that practice until he returns. Right. That remembrance until he returns. So. It was the act of eating that brought sin into the world. It's the act of eating that reminds us that sin is no more. That Jesus Christ has conquered death. That Jesus Christ represents the resurrection and that life has won over death. That love has won over death. And here's why we fast in between. We fast in between, one, because... We know and we admit that what we've done and what we've done in the past and what we, and the potential wrong that we will do in the future and the potential wrong that we'll do now. We lament over that. And so we give that up and we showcase that by giving up food and giving up a meal or giving up two meals a day. And that in that time, we wait. And we partake and we partake in communion as a showcase, as a foreshadow of what will happen at the end when Jesus Christ comes back, where we will be fully united in Jesus Christ. And so fasting has a cosmic sense here and that when we fast, we admit who we were in the past, but we also fast knowing that the only true meal, the only real meal that will sustain us and that we will thirst no more and, we're, and that we will hunger no more is Christ himself. So I hope, as I shared, I hope that 
this was helpful. I hope that this was edifying. I hope this was encouraging and that you, the individual, will personally commit in, in consistently fasting and that Inspire will commit to consistently fasting. I'd like to end in prayer. Father, creator of all, thank you for rescuing creation from decay. Holy Spirit, grant us the strength and the insight on how we should fast. To claim now that we are promised then that truly we live not on bread alone, but by every word from God. Show us the way. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you are inspired as we journey together to reorient our lives in life-giving practices as demonstrated in God's Word.